0: This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston.
1: Breast milk, it's a truly amazing biofluid, but for all its incredible properties, it's still rarely researched. And while we instinctively know it's doing our babies good, wouldn't it be great to have some solid science to back that hunch up? Today, I'd like you to meet Dr. Natalie Schenker. She was a paediatric surgeon until she had her first baby. And well, like for a lot of us, her life turned upside down too. For all the regular reasons, a pretty tough birth, a demanding baby, but Natalie became fascinated by human breast milk. And why wouldn't you be? Because alongside all the old wives' tales that have been kicking around for a few millennia, like anyone need to cure a sty in your eye, eczema, well, apparently breast milk is the ticket. But there's not that much scientific research behind its amazing properties. Dr Natalie Schenker has travelled to Australia with the Australian Breastfeeding Association's Annual Conference. She is the co founder of the Hearts Milk Bank in England and on the board of the Human Milk Foundation. She's also an academic researching human breast milk at Imperial College London. So I asked her to take us back to the beginning and what sparked her interest. In this amazing floor work. Oh, gosh, I'm afraid my daughter is to blame for that one.
0: Before I'd worked in paediatrics, paediatric surgery, and then went into research and really have to hold my hand up and say that I knew very little about breastfeeding. I knew absolutely nothing about the composition of human milk until my daughter came along. And uh, she, was, she still is very strong minded now, six years later, but she absolutely refused to take a bottle. So everything had to be at source. And that meant I built up an enormous quantity of expressed milk, which my husband could no longer feed to her. And that meant that a friend came along one day and said, you can donate milk. And it was through the course of donating my milk and having conversations with many, many people who worked at the milk bank who were far more expert on this, that I started to understand that this was an incredibly fascinating and interesting biofluid with multiple capabilities for helping very sick babies. And that's what sparked my interest. Has this been like a complete career shift for you? (laughs) Um, Yes, my husband is still quite surprised it isn't entirely what he signed up to. But yes, it's not an entire shift. So my research at Imperial started to focus on using cells from breast milk for breast cancer research. It was really a frustration of not being able to get grant funding to continue that project. And NHS constraints, our National Health Service having difficulties at the time in supporting a functional milk bank service. And I'd had some interesting experiences in terms of setting up businesses in the past, so I I could see that this was a viable part of the health service cost-effective model and just felt frustrated that we couldn't do either the research or the clinical provision. So this led you to branching out on your own? Pretty much. So with Gillian Weaver, who's worked in milk banking in the UK for almost three decades, we co-founded initially a, a non-profit organisation, the Hearts Milk Bank, and that's now been morphed into the charity, the Human Milk Foundation, which really aims to ensure that more babies have access to human milk. How important is human milk for a baby? So it's it's how babies have evolved. It's what the babies. Uh, intestines are expecting to have, but it's much more than just a nutrition. So. I assumed it was all about calories, all about how much fat was in there and so on but what I've come to understand through studying milk is that it's really an incredibly complex fluid that has lots and lots of cues that tell the baby's organs how to develop and how to develop appropriately so it's shifted my perception away from it being purely a food to actually being a set of complex developmental patterning tools.
1: How does a fluid that you just would <laughs> assume is inert manage to do that? Yeah, well it evolution. I mean, our mothers have evolved the capacity
0: to do some extraordinary things, both in breast tissue itself, but also to extract complex fats from the diet that go into patterning babies' brains. And one of the critical differences between us and other primates, our closest relatives, are that our brains are very different um, in terms of the speed of uh, processing in, in the brain, but also the structure of the brains. And brains are principally made up with of fat and a baby's brain will double in size over the first year of life and that's primarily fueled by what the baby's being fed
1: is it just substances produced by the mother's body, or are there some probiotics going on in there as well? Well, it's really interesting.
0: So that's a very hot topic of research at the moment. This whole concept of the microbiome, the gut microbiome, and the fact that every organ in our body has this entirely separate organ of the bacteria and other organisms chugging away doing things that are critically important to the normal development of that of that organ, and the thing about the gut microbiome is the types of bugs that you want in there in very early life. The food for those bacteria are contained in human milk they're complex sugars produced by the mother. And it's like a fingerprint, a unique fingerprint that's different between every mother and baby. And it seems to be patterned not only by her genetics, but her environment and what she's been exposed to. So it's like a a tailor-made soup for a baby's healthy intestinal development. Wow. And
1: I've heard there's some research that shows that when a baby begins to drink, there's a little backwash there's some of the baby's saliva enters the breast and then yep. informs the breast of what the baby might be needing. Absolutely
0: it's like ordering your next meal um, <gasps> and that research came out of Australia and it's something that we would love to try and, and replicate over in the UK but it just it makes you think there's an awful lot going on so in In the baby's spit, there's going to be bacteria, potentially pathogens, can can cause disease. And if the mother is sensing those, then it gives her the capability to produce antibodies against those bacteria in the next feed.
1: What are some of your favourite fun facts about breast milk? I mean, (laughs) it seems trivial to say all fun facts, but there's some amazing things about breast milk. And one of mine is the the sort of slightly blue tinge to breast milk.
0: Oh, well, that's just the start. So we're putting together a range of photographs at the milk bank of the the rainbow of colours. So if a mother has eaten beetroot, it goes purple. If she's had asparagus or broccoli the night before, we can see all the green ones. And when I was doing my PhD and working with hundreds of samples, you could pretty much line up which mother each sample of milk had come from without looking at the labels because it's so individual between... Mothers, and that's, I guess, one of my favourite facts is the variability of it. It makes it incredibly difficult to research. But milk varies over the course of a single feed. It varies over a 24-hour cycle. Different hormone levels are found in milk at different times during the day. And babies aren't born with a normal diurnal rhythm. We haven't got that day-night cycle. Anyone who's looked after a new baby knows that to be incredibly true. And one of the ways that they develop it is presumably through the hormones that are coming through mother's milk, the cortisol and the the hormones that'll lay that groundwork. As well as being exposed to day and night, it's not, there's, there's so many overlapping systems to make sure that a baby develops normally, that it's not going to be just one
1: factor. That's amazing. With milk or with a product that is geared so very specifically to your baby, and, mm. and I understand that it really changes over time with the mm. growth of your baby. How Is it possible then to do something as general as a milk bank? Absolutely. Yeah, you've obviously got mothers that are in different stages of lactation.
0: Yes, absolutely. So that's informed how milk banking has really worked in the UK, but also elsewhere, where mums who are donating extra milk that they have to their own baby's needs, they are asked to stop when their baby gets to a certain age, so either six months, nine months, or, or a year. And that was... Because of the idea that babies who are very premature, very sick, their milk needs to be more closely matched to a, a, a young baby's mother's milk. And then some research came out a couple of years ago suggesting that milk as a baby goes into toddlerhood actually becomes more concentrated, so higher protein, higher calorie, higher fat levels. And that made me start thinking, because one of the problems with using donor milk on neonatal units is that babies often have a much higher metabolic rate, so they need more calories. And because donor milk is heat-treated, it's processed and frozen, it does tend to lose a few of those calories. So what we're finding is that babies grow very quickly if they're fed with milk from slightly older older children. Now, we're not doing that in neonatal units at the moment at hearts, but we are applying that with some of the very tiny babies in the community where the mothers are trying to establish feeding or, for whatever reason, cannot breastfeed at all. and finding that, in fact, those babies do grow very, very quickly if they're fed with older babies' mother's milk. Not inappropriately, they're not becoming obese, but if they were falling off the growth charts
1: then suddenly their weight starts correcting back to what it was expected to be. And I'm sure there's there's not too many parents of very tiny preemie babies that would knock back the opportunity to have a growth spurt.
0: Well, absolutely. But it's
1: interesting because we do find some reluctance
0: at the outset of being uh, of their babies receiving donor milk when it's very first introduced into the conversation. And I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the UK we have this cultural perception of milk being slightly yuck that you wouldn't want another mother's milk necessarily going into your baby. And stepping back from that, it's interesting to look at our perceptions of blood transfusion or organ transplantation, which comes from a very, very different um, set of emotions in the body and possibly how we think culturally about the function of breasts and what they're there for. But we are noticing a a shift in perception as more information comes out about how life-saving Having an exclusive human milk diet can be. That seems kind of crazy. It's a remarkable process. If you track attitudes over the last 70 or 80 years, just how effective campaigns for formula have been to make women doubt their own bodies. I've certainly had those attitudes when I started out on this process. And it's really interesting to unpick where they came from. But actually, women should feel almost like superheroes, you know, they're producing stem cells that go directly into their baby's organs and genetic signalling and, you know, all of these unique molecules that aren't found anywhere else in humans or in other species, and they're all there for a reason.
1: Um, we just need to unpick what those reasons are. Oh, goodness I me, mean, I must have just been raised by breastfeeding feminists. <laughs> so I never considered it as a, as a negative ever. As a pediatric surgeon, you can help me bust one of the things that I've heard about breast milk is that it's it's one of the few things that you can feed a baby that needs surgery. That's really interesting. <laughs> so trying to talk with
0: surgeons has been, has been interesting but it all comes down to understanding what's in milk and there are so many growth factors that we know are helpful for wound healing there's all these old wives tales which aren't actually old wives tales the the fact that if you treat eczema or skin conditions or conjunctivitis with mother's milk then they tend to clear up very quickly and that really comes down to the evolution of why milk has is what it is And if we look back, you know, over 100 million years ago, when this was first starting to get going as a process, the point of milk wasn't to grow a baby, it was to protect a baby from all of the potential diseases that are out there in the environment. And babies pop out relatively immunocompromised. They don't have the natural defences. So it would have been a bit daft of Mother Nature not to have some mechanism to protect the baby as they start to develop their their own immune system. And what if we step back and look at rates of uh, diseases where the immune system is, is not working so well, so allergy or autoimmune disease, or even as we understand some diseases like cardiovascular disease and stroke now have a, an underpinning in the immune system functioning. It could come down to how that baby's immune system is being trained in the very earliest days and months.
1: The solution, I have heard, is to genetically modify cows to produce human breast milk. How's that going?
0: <laughs> Not incredibly well from from everything I've heard. I don't know if it's uh, just the type of society we live in where we look for fixes. That's just so complicated. And each of the components that we're talking about interacts with each other's in each other in ways that we don't understand yet, that there are literally thousands of bioactive molecules in milk. And maybe if we could put that money into supporting new mothers who want to breastfeed to be able to do so by giving them the intense support before and after the birth of the baby, then we could do a lot better.
1: There are circumstances where women are not able to breastfeed Absolutely. and the purposes of this is not to make them feel terrible about that not but how far is the industry the formula industry going to try and match some of these wonderful aspects of breast milk so i mean
0: i think since the advent of the the whole story around the gut microbiome there's been an enormous push for from industry to try and capitalise on that. And one of the ways that's being done in the States is by inserting a single oligosaccharide, one of these sugars that feed bacteria into milk. The problem I have with it is that there's no clinical trials around this to judge effectiveness because milk is a food. It doesn't need to be regulated
1: in the same way as a medicine. Now there's over two- hang on a second. This stuff that we're feeding newborn babies, it's the, no regulation. Uh, I mean, food standards.
0: Yes, but we're not talking medical. You know, we're not talking in terms of the impact on the baby's health. Wow! But that, that's been the case for seventy, eighty years, or longer. This has all been one giant unregulated public health experiment. Gosh. In a way. Okay, yeah. so that doesn't fill me with confidence. I mean, you want formula to be safe, and you want it to be the safest it can possibly be. And you know, I fed my own daughter's formula when they needed it but I want to be sure that that's going to be a safe product to feed them. Where I have a problem is where marketing is used to make claims that are not necessarily backed up by evidence, and we need to be working to make sure that women who really want to breastfeed are given those resources and
1: support to be able to do so. And that's where it is just so hard, because it's... Breastfeeding is really hard. It is, it can be. And you really, especially in those first couple of really vulnerable weeks, I can imagine just how easy it is just to to pack it in because it just seems not to be working.
0: Yeah, and I think having more open conversations about that so that mums and parents are aware of potentially what's coming down the track and can plan for that. We, I don't know how it is in Australia, I think it's pretty similar, but we spend an enormous amount of time thinking about birth, thinking about all the ways it could possibly go wrong and how to mitigate that. Who's going to advocate for you? What plans are you going to put in place if plan A doesn't go to plan? Mm. And there's no reason why we can't do that for feeding. You know, what happens three days later when your milk hasn't come in? Who are you going to get support from? Who's going to be advocating for you in that position
1: and how are you going to make sure that baby's safe that sounds like a jolly good idea breastfeeding plan like the that sits in the folder next to the birth plan <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: it was it, it's just written about it on on the human milk foundation news page and it's it's caused a big stir in the uk because it it's one of those obvious things that isn't obvious until you start thinking
1: there's a lot about having a
0: baby that's not,
1: <laughs> not in plan A or I think obvious. I spent the first
0: two weeks just saying to anyone who would listen, why didn't you tell me it, it would be like this?
1: And probably <laughs> they said, oh, we tried, but <laughs> well, you were preoccupied. There is some of that, but also you don't want to make people worried. I'd really like to ask mm. you some quick questions about how you overcome some of the problems. I had a friend who had triplets and she was receiving donations, but she actually had a bit of a, a problem because one of of the donors possibly smoked? Did she smoke before donating milk or did she have a drink or was she unwell? How do you overcome these
0: issues? So, I mean, one of the ways our species has survived is that when there's been problems with breastfeeding, the community stepped in. And over millennia, that's been the, the family members, the sisters, the aunties, the mothers of women who can't breastfeed either in the short or long term, or indeed somebody that they would know within their community, village, street, whatever. And how that's shifted is is this rise of milk sharing, which has really come from a base of, you know, the message of breast is best, which hasn't necessarily been so helpful without the support there as well. So we've all got that message. And then if things are going wrong, what are the alternatives? And what we're trying to set up is, are the systems to make milk banking more available so donor milk can be more readily available to women who have medical issues that prevent or, or restrict breastfeeding but also to make to work with the milk sharing organizations to ensure that people are informed about the risks that are there and how they can be mitigated against.
1: Natalie, can you tell us some more about how the milk bank is working with women in the UK to get milk donations. Oh I mean there's so much work that we're
0: doing at the milk bank in terms of working to make the donor experience as good as it can be. I mean, these are women who are pumping every day sometimes several times a day and so it's a much bigger commitment than say for example donating blood but also some of those mums sadly will be bereaved and working with healthcare professionals to open up the conversation that gives that as an opportunity for mothers who've been through such an, an awful experience. For some women in that situation, being able to donate milk to help other babies can be a truly transformative experience within such a a low point in life. But then in terms of how milk is used, we're providing milk to almost 30 neonatal units. But we've always had more donors than, than the hospitals have needed, so we've supported over 40 families in the community where the mums are affected by breast cancer or they have no breast tissue, so they really have no choice as to how they're feeding their baby. And if we can support mothers and babies for several months with donor milk, it can make all the difference to how mums are feeling. And I always said I, was just, I thought I was setting up a milk bank to help babies, whereas what I realise now two years later is I've really set up a milk bank to help mothers.
1: What about the links that you started to investigate between breast cancer? Yes. So there uh, is an enormous resource
0: in using milk from mothers before anybody uh, – so they're healthy, they're pre-cancer development but there are potentially some markers in the cells from the breast that fall off into into milk that we can start understanding whether those markers are the same as the ones that we're seeing in blood and if they are then it will help inform new breast cancer screening tools so women who are at very high risk of developing cancer can have that information and work out what to do based on it.
1: Because there is an experience of a small group of women who breast cancer develops mm. whilst they're pregnant or breastfeeding Absolutely, it gets yeah. totally missed by doctors saying, oh, you've just got lumpy breasts.
0: Oh, it's such a, a dreadful diagnosis to have and something that we work with quite frequently through the milk bank. But if we can understand why that's happening in a very, very small proportion of women who are pregnant, then it might help inform future treatments against breast cancer.
1: Dr Natalie Schenker, visiting Australia thanks to the Australian Breastfeeding Association. If you'd like to find out more about Natalie's work, there's a link to the Heart's Breast Milk Bank and the Human Milk Foundation on the Baby Talk website. The link to the Human Milk Foundation has a link to Dr. Natalie's article on having a breastfeeding plan, and you can check it out yourself. You can find it on the Baby Talk website. Baby Talk, one word, should find us. Amazing research about human breast milk. But last week, we learned more about one of the really debilitating conditions of pregnancy, hyperemesis gravidarum
0: and it's got significantly worse day by day to the point where I couldn't move from the bed. I was severely dehydrated. I had no energy. I was getting really dizzy, blurred vision, things like that. So eventually called the hospital and they, they asked me to present to the emergency department. And whilst I was there, they kind of assessed my level of, of dehydration and saw how much i was i was constantly vomiting and they were able to give me a diagnosis of hyperemesis gravidarum
1: it's such a debilitating condition a podcast to share if you know somebody who's suffering during their pregnancy Just find the Baby Talk podcast on iTunes or on the ABC Listen app. And in the individual episodes, you can find a button that helps you share the podcast via email or even a text message. And of course, you can always email a link from the Baby Talk website. I hope you enjoyed Baby Talk this week. I'm Penny Johnston. I'll see you next time on Baby Talk.
0: ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Digital Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast.
1: Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.